Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.56 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the 12th day of April, 2023. This is episode, what, 703 of Bitcoin and... Man, dude, I just, I've been like, like in the middle of listening to Peter McCormick's What Bitcoin Did, and he's interviewing Eric Wall. Oh, my heavens. Dudes, look, I know a lot of people have a lot of beef. We'll get to that. A lot of beef with Peter McCormick. I get it. I still like the guy. I listened to what Bitcoin did. But this one, this one, somehow or another, he gets Eric Wall to talk about how far down the hex rabbit hole this guy got. And you can tell in the personality by what Eric Wall is saying. If you don't know who Eric Wall is, dismiss everything I'm saying. But a lot of you guys have seen this name on Twitter. Sometimes I've seen people post stuff of his on Twitter to Noster. I've, I've seen this guy around a lot. And somehow or another, I'm like, who is this guy? And why is everybody thinking that he's just like this most brilliant dude ever? And after listening to the first half of this particular episode of what Bitcoin did, it's the last one that he released. Okay. So if you're trying to figure out which one it was. It's the one that dropped, I think, this morning or late last night. Holy smokes. Now that question is even deeper embedded in my mind. I have no idea why anybody listens to what this dude has to say and his absolute hatred towards Bitcoin maximalism and his deriding of Bitcoin maxis in general. I don't get it. After listening to this, I don't get it. But you've got, you've got to listen to, you've got to listen to this one because the, I mean, I've always known that Hex was just a flaming dumpster fire. Okay. And the reason that I've always known that is not because I'm smart, but because people think there's a lot. I mean, there is, I think honestly, the great guts and feathers of the quote unquote crypto community do not know that Richard Hart has been in the crypto scene since way before Hex became a thing. I don't know if you know this, but in 2015, and honestly, this is kind of around the same time that Craig Wright wormed his way out of the woodwork to infect everybody with just a bunch of stupid, okay? Around the same time, this guy named Richard Hart comes on the scene and he's working with a rocket scientist. He kept tell, telling everybody, he's working with a rocket scientist to build this new blockchain. I wish I could remember its name. 
But this is where he started. This was way before Hex. Okay, so understand this. Even Eric Wald never touched on this. And I don't think Peter McCormick understands this. So therefore, I guarantee you a lot of other people don't. He's working with, he gets this guy who's this PhD in fluid dynamics. And what the idea was, is that they were going to use the proof of work consensus mechanism forking Bitcoin or at least building their own. I can't remember if they rolled their own or if they forked Bitcoin. But the idea was that if all these computers are going to be crunching, you know, basically throwing dice because it's not a complicated thing. SHA-256 is just basically guessing, okay? As the mining, as part of the mining structure for Bitcoin mining, it's not a complicated mathematical equation that these computers are doing. No, they're making guesses and seeing if they get the right answer. That's it. That it's not that hard. So Richard comes on the scene and says, this is just a tremendous waste, waste of compute power. So what we're going to do is we're going to basically mint blocks that will have, that will be secured by the blockchain under this proof of work mechanism that has transactions in it. But instead of just making guesses, we're going to solve very complicated fluid dynamics equations. And they compared it to SETI at home, where you're looking for like radio, you know, your computer is used to crunch radiometric data from NASA and all these radio telescopes to see if there's any kind of signal you can find. Or folding at home, which uses your computer to kind of do a whole bunch of calculations to see which ways proteins fold on each other because that's a huge deal. Well, they were going to do it with fluid dynamics. And I was that, I mean, I didn't know anything about Richard Hart, but that was the first time that I'd heard his name and I was kind of interested. And then it was not too long after that. And guess what? You find out he was the email spam king. If you got were getting like spammed in your inbox in the late, you know, the mid to late 90s it, through the 2000s and getting up into two, you know, 2010, it was Richard Hart most likely because he was just that was how he made a shit ton of money. <clears throat> and then he got everybody to get into this stupid chain which thankfully I didn't do. I was just by the time all this kind of rolled out I could be interested in something, but it was like uh, the summer of 2016 that I sh shucked it all, said Bitcoin only, all the rest of this stuff is just a confusing mess and most of it is scam. And then Richard Hart kept doing his thing, kept getting money for this stupid fluid dynamics chain. And then all of a sudden he just went away. And the next time you saw him was Hex and the whole Hexican culture and my God almighty, this dude struck gold. And the fact of the matter is that he did it in the most unethical way you can do it because he's mining human resources. That's what he's doing. Pure and simple. There's nothing behind this. I didn't know that Hex was a copy paste of Ethereum. Straight up, no changes. I did not know that until this episode, which is why I highly recommend that if you want to solve two problems, 
One is to figure out just how bad Hex is and why you should never, ever, 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 ever even look at it again after this. And two, oh, well, if you want to find out, that's where you go. That's number one. Number two is the people that you think have sway in quote unquote the crypto community. Some of these people are so deeply flawed that you should not listen to anything that they have to say. Now, I'm sure Eric is a, a generally good guy. Maybe he'll buy you a round of beers. I don't know. But after listening to his whole story about Hex and how he was involved, it's clear that I will never, ever, ever listen to anything he has to say about Bitcoin maxis, Bitcoin maximalism. And I extend that I'm going to say 85% of the people that are, that are trying to, like Udi Wertheimer, used to have a lot of respect for him. Now, after listening to this, I get the feeling that Udi may be just as deeply flawed and looking for attention only instead of having a real, solid, logical standpoint to talk about the things that he talks about. And now I'm extending that to almost almost everybody that has something to say about Bitcoin maximalism. I, I, I know that makes me a total Bitcoin maxi. So apparently Eric Wall hates me, but it's, it's worth it. I, I guarantee it. It's worth it. It's the last one that Peter McCormick dropped from what Bitcoin did podcast. Now the beef initiative uh, announcement. And if you were on Nostra last night, you saw two of them, one from the beef initiative uh, in pub and one from mine. And the announcement basically reflected each other. And I want to solidify this to make sure that everybody understands I am in control of the Beef Initiative Nostra Key Pair. And the reason that is, is because I spun that up for Texas Slim while he was still in Australia. <clears throat> because he was busy, couldn't really get a hold of him. And I was like, dude, somebody is going to do this the branding is 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 too precious for what the movement is trying to do it can't fall into it can't fall into the wrong hands yes i'm maniacal at this point and, and you're probably going how are you any different than that dude you were just talking about i probably am not D take everything that i say as well with a grain of salt except for the buy bitcoin hold bitcoin and the only thing that you should use Bitcoin for is to create a circular economy, which means buying goods and services in Bitcoin from people that are selling their goods and services that are good, that you want, that you find necessary, that you find of utility in Bitcoin. All right, so that part, everything else, yeah, maybe I'm maniacal. Anyway, the whole point is, I think it was important to capture the namespace for the Beef Initiative on Noster before somebody else of, of truly maniacal, you know, machinations did. So I did it. Okay. I spun up the prive, uh, the, the, the private public key pair for the beef initiative. I don't know, like sometime early last month or late, very, very late the month before that, uh, it was whenever when, uh, slim was still in Australia. So uh, that's around the time. So when I got a hold of Slim at the time that I did that, it was like a couple of days later, I told him what I did and we were talking and I said, look, I need to turn the private public key pair over to your people so that I can get them out of my hands. Well, that never happened. 
We never, you know, I, I never got an email or anything like that from his people because his entire crew is working all, probably night and day on setting up micro summits, getting slim where he needs to go, lining up people to talk to the whole ball of wax. And he doesn't have a staff of, you know, he doesn't have like a, as big of a staff as, as some outfits do. So they're all working overtime. And I talked to him the day before yesterday uh, for the first time in a while, especially the first time since he's been back. And I'm supposed to get in touch with him today or tomorrow uh, to talk about a time that I'm going to interview him and he can tell his story about being over in Southeast Asia and down under. But we decided that his team, is his crew is so busy and Noster is so nascent that his crew just doesn't have time to take on one more thing. And I put that in the Nunya business post on Noster. He just, they just don't. So what we came up with was that all be the social media manager for this one account on Noster, expect to see, expect the following. Where I can, I will not be posting direct links to Twitter, right? Because that's important being on Noster. And it's not because I don't want to piss anybody off. It's because I just think Twitter is, a, is just dying as a, as a platform. It'll take a long time for it to die, just look at Facebook. It's taking forever for it to die, but dying it is. And Twitter is on fire, as we all know. So I will limit that where I can. However, some of the Beef Initiative posts on Twitter, which I want to take over to Noster, there's not going to be much I can do about it. So please, 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 you can give me some ribbon. Try to be nice about it. And for those of you who don't hear this podcast, well, I guess there's no reason to say anything further. But that's that's what's going on with the Beef Initiative uh, Noster thing. All right. So if you're at any in any way confused as to my intent, my purpose, why I did it, and why I'm doing this, you are more than welcome to DM me on Noster, uh, and I will try to explain further if you want to give me a boostagram and ask me specific questions about my intentions or anything like that, then do it through boostagram because that's always appreciated. Now, the final piece of the puzzle. Last night, I put on a couple, just a, you know, a couple of, um, oh, a couple of notes from the Beef Initiative Noster InPub. And a lot of people started getting back in touch with, with started engaging with that. And a lot of people were saying, dude, where's the lightning wallet? I can't zap you. I can't, I can't say, well, the reason is cause I didn't put up a, I didn't put up a lightning address. And what I discovered was, is that there's just not a, you know, I want to keep the beef initiative on the, the stuff that I do for the beef initiative, uh, on the desktop only and not confuse it with what I got going on over my, on my phone. Uh, because I want to make sure that the messaging is different than what I would put out as a public figure versus what the beef initiative puts out and the information and the, and the, uh, yeah, well, the information and the information types that, that the beef initiative puts out. And it's difficult when you're managing two or more accounts and ask me how I know, and, and do that through DM. Otherwise, I won't tell you publicly. Um, so what I did 
is I had, I'm starting to use the Phoenix wallet on my phone. Um, and I have been steadily draining my wallet of Satoshi. It's not because I don't like wallet of Satoshi, as you'll see here in a second, but it was like, I just wanted to use a different wallet. You know, I, I just, Zapathons are too much fun. And sometimes wallet of Satoshi, they get their server farm gets lit on fire, right? So it is what it is. So I just started using Phoenix wallet. I was down to like 650 Satoshis in my wallet of Satoshi, but everybody was on on my at well not on my ass but they were basically saying i want to i want to zap you i want to zap the beef initiative but the beef initiative had no lightning wallet so what i've done at least in the interim is i've given the tearing feet 31 at walletofsatoshi.com i've given that address and plugged it into the beef initiative so all zaps <coughs> that go to the wallet, my wallet of Satoshi's address, which is tearing, T-E-A-R-I-N-G, feet, 31, all one word, no spaces, no dashes, at walletofsatoshi.com is now owned by the Beef Initiative, at least in the interim. So all zaps that go to that wallet will go to the Beef Initiative if, well, when... You know, like when I get uncomfortable having X amount of Satoshis, whatever that is, on that wallet, then that's when I really got to like get a hold of one of uh, Slim's, like the Slim's producer, and figure out how to dump those Satoshis into their wallet because those are not my Satoshis. You need to understand that. I, I, I ain't in this to be a bad actor within the beef initiative. Shit's too important to me. I've known Slim for too damn long. I was with him and talking to him in Canyon when right before or right during the time that he released the very first thing he did, which was about food intelligence. I'm not, I'm not burning my reputation over hundreds of thousands of Satoshis. I don't care if it ends up being like a full Bitcoin. I'm not, burning my rep by not giving everything that you guys zap to the beef initiative will go to the beef initiative. I promise, I swear, if anything happens that does not make that promise whole, then burn me to the ground and do it quickly. Now, moving on from the beef initiative, let's get into the news. Bitcoin developers propose hierarchical channels to boost Lightning Network scalability. Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey. This one excites me. I read about this last night. <clears throat> developers are exploring the use of hierarchical channels to help speed up and make the Lightning Network more scalable. Hierarchical channels allow for flexible off-chain resizing of channels enabling quick and cheap resizing without on-chain transactions, which add delays and costs. Now I'm going to pause because two days ago, I put out a note on Nostr that said, what I really need is the ability to form new channels from my old channels. Like as more Satoshis come into, like I open, like let's say I open up a million Satoshi channel with some other person. And we agree 
I got a million on my side. They got a million on their side. And honestly, it doesn't really matter where the balance is. If it's all on my side or all on the other guy's side, when I close that channel, I'm going to get back my million Satoshis plus whatever went into that channel that added to that original million dollar balance or million Satoshi balance, right? So here, I the way that I'm reading this is that this answered my, the, my hope that I would be able to build more channels inside the Lightning Network without having to do loopouts or put more money in to open yet more channels and do, because the only way you're opening channels right now is on chain. If I'm reading what I read right, then I'd be able to form a new channel with some other channel partner without ever hitting the Bitcoin chain. Hopefully BTCKC makes sure that that actually is what is going on here. Now, in, in contrast, resizing channels on chain can cause delays of several months and increase fees. The current proposals for resizing channels off-chain involve creating a channel factory or coin pool and exchanging capacity between channels with the same factory or pool. Hierarchical channels allow for flexible off-chain resizing of channels without requiring an exchange of capacity within a limited pool of users. The hierarchical channels enable the creation of a two-party channel with two main outputs, one per party, plus zero or more hashed time-locked contracts or HTLC outputs. Each output from a hierarchical channel funds another channel that can be viewed as the root of an off-chain tree of outputs where the leaves of the tree are owned by single users. The parties can use a hashed time lock contract to exchange Bitcoin linking their HTLC to HTLCs in other potentially hierarchical channels thus making payments over the Lightning Network. With hierarchical channels, developers are proposing to solve two problems. First, it allows for flexible resizing near instantaneously and off-chain, which is similar to the Lightning Network's aim of allowing for near instant off-chain payments. Secondly, hierarchical channels could be used by casual users who can send and receive Bitcoin in a watchtower-free manner while the dedicated users can use all of their channel capacity to route payments, even while the casual user is inactive. Hierarchical channels would enable casual users to operate in a watchtower-free manner without stranding any capital. The implementation of hierarchical channels could help overcome one of the biggest limitations of the Lightning Network, which is its scalability. Pausing just to say, scale is always the problem. Human brains are not the size of a galaxy because human brains and neural tissue have what? A scaling problem. That's right. Suns, are, it, it, burning stars are going to have a maximum size at one point or another. I don't think we've discovered the largest star yet, but some of the ones we've discovered are pretty damn big. But even a fusion reaction has a scalability problem. So... When somebody says there's a scalability problem, understand that a giant redwood also has a scalability problem. I'm, I'm just saying, okay? So don't, don't freak out. Now, uh, where was, I'm sorry, I got off on the, okay, here, here it is. It is expected that hierarchical channels would provide the necessary support 
for efficient Lightning Network payments without introducing additional delays, adding costs, and limiting scalability. The development of hierarchical channels does not require any changes to the underlying Bitcoin protocol. Developers are proposing that hierarchical channels are an effective way of enabling flexible and off-chain resizing of channels within the Lightning Network. The ability to resize channels quickly and efficiently will enable the Lightning Network to continue to scale and meet the increasing demand for more efficient payment channels. Okay, so I won't be able to open new channels with this, but I will be able to balance more effectively what's going on. That's sort of the way I see it. I still want the ability to build new Lightning Network channels with other channel operators in a way that does not cause me to have to do an on-chain transaction, okay? If that can be done, wow, that would be freaking awesome. What do we got from Decrypt? Uh, oh, okay. Uh, disclaimer and trigger warning, we're gonna be talking about shitcoin one and I will therefore be using its proper name. I know it's Ethereum because today is the day. According to developers, more than $300 million worth of Ethereum will be sold after the Shanghai upgrade. According to analyst Andrew Asmakov and Liam Kelly writing for Decrypt, analysts at Glassnode estimate that roughly 170,000 ETH worth approximately $326 million will be sold following today's highly anticipated Shanghai upgrade. The upgrade, also known by its consensus layer name Capella, will finally let users withdraw ETH that has been locked up on the Ethereum network for the last two years. My God. Ethereum began its transa transition to proof-of-stake network in December of 2020 enabling validators and other interested stakers to begin earning passive rewards on ETH pledged to the network. It completed the transition last September following the merge, an upgrade, uh, an upgrade that combined the Ethereum mainnet with proof-of-stake beacon chain. Users who staked their ETH, however, haven't been, with able, been able to withdraw their initial deposits nor rewards. But all that changes later today. Yeah, baby. Glassnode researchers today stated in a report that of the newly unlocked sum, approximately 70,000 ETH will come from validators exiting the network, pulling their staked holdings with them. The report indicates that there are 253 depositors waiting to do precisely this, but analysts added that, quote, withdrawals are most likely related to a change in their technical setup rather than exiting their position. Of course, there's always reasons why somebody's not actually selling ETH, right? The remaining 100,000 ETH is expected to come from users withdrawing their staking rewards to sell on the market. Okay, those guys apparently are going to sell. Glassnode analysts said that they only expect roughly $133 million worth of ETH to actually become liquid following the activation of withdrawals. Despite projecting upwards of $326 million in ETH potentially hitting the market, Glassnode's report concludes that the move, quote, is expected to be a lot less dramatic than many have painted it to be, adding that should the Shanghai upgrade go off without a hitch, it will bolster a growing staking industry. And yes, Gary Gensler is licking his chops, baby, because all this shit passes the Howey test. It's also worth noting 
that withdraw request will enter a queue and not all withdraw requests will be processed on day one. Oh joy, individual stakers may have to wait at least two or three days before receiving their funds and stakers making use of pooling services such as Lido or centralized providers like Coinbase might need to wait weeks, if not months. Mm -hmm. That means that any ETH being withdrawn from the staking contract, won't, it won't hit the market all at once. Other analysts, including CoinShares research associate Mark Arjun, agree that the effects of the Shanghai upgrade on the Ethereum market will likely be muted in the short term. Yeah, that's by design, dude. Arjun told Decrypt that this has a lot to do with liquid staking solutions such as Lido Finance. Though withdrawals for Lido Finance are also contingent on withdrawals on Ethereum also becoming available, users have been able to swap their staked Ethereum tokens, which is S-T-E-T-H, for actual ETH on exchanges like Curve Finance. When depositing Ethereum on a liquid staking platform, users get an equivalent staked version of Ethereum that can be used elsewhere in the world of decentralized finance, also a scam, also a security, such U, such US, uh, oh, I think they said such as, they spelled it US, editors, such as non-custodial lending and trading platforms. Quote, if those takers want to exit the market, they could simply sell their tokens on the secondary market for a one-to-one -one ratio, he told Decrypt. Arjun also believes that many of the tech-savvy stakers who have the 32 ETH needed to become validators are unlikely to sell their stashes. Quote, they decided to stake their ETH with an indefinite lockup period, and that's likely because they believe in using ETH as a store of value, said Arjun. Quote, that's why I also think that that cohort majority is unlikely to sell. So who's dumping their stake ETH? Different entities like businesses, colleges, and other things that just can't be identified using the wallet addresses are the most likely to sell, said Arjun. To be conservative, I would say that 50% of those entities would withdraw and sell their ETH. Okay, well, that's still a, like, what, $175,000 or $175 million? What was it? Yeah, like $175 million, million still hitting the open market. All right, this last thing that Arjun said. Now, I know you guys probably cringing. Maybe you're like all fetal and, you know, in the fetal position drooling upon yourselves because I deigned to talk about ETH in a longer format. But that shit's supposed to happen today. And anybody who understands and has been around long enough understands that when ETH says, that, or Ethereum and the Ethereum Foundation says that an upgrade is going to happen, it generally speaking does not happen. It's always delayed. Now, they finally got proof of stake pushed through after two years. Actually, they, they have been trying to do proof of stake since day one of Ethereum. One of the very first things Vitalik Buterin said before he got way, way, way famous is that they're moving away. They're going to make sure that they concentrate all their power. And this is from 2015, guys. 2015 is when this shit happened. They're going to concentrate all their power to building a proof of stake mechanism that didn't use any electricity and therefore carbon footprint bullshit. Okay, look, dudes, he's been spouting this nonsense since 2015. It was two years ago, what, maybe, or maybe three, that they even, and, and, through six failed attempts to finally do proof of stake, they finally got it through, what, 
uh, five, six years later. I mean, I don't expect Shanghai to go off without a hitch. It could. It might. I don't really give a shit. But if you start seeing or you have been seeing a shit ton of chatter about ETH, this is why. Because all this stuff is supposed to go down at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as far as I know. As Who knows if it's actually going to happen. Now, as far see now the, the way that plays into this last one of these last uh, paragraphs that uh, when Arjun is talking about, um, yeah, he says they decided to stake their ETH with an indefinite lockup period. No, well, let me read the whole thing. They decided he's talking about the the guys that have the validators with the thirty two locked ETH. He says of them that they decided to stake their ETH with an indefinite lockup period. And that's likely because they believe in using ETH as a store of value. That's why I also think that that cohort majority is unlikely to sell. Bullshit. People were staking their ETH because, because unlocking that feature was just around the corner. And then it was just around another corner. And it was, it's the same shit we saw when they were trying to finally get proof of stake installed at the first place. It just get delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. These guys never locked up their ETH for an indefinite period knowingly. They thought that this shit, as usual, was right around a corner, and as usual, it wasn't. The only thing around the other corner was another corner. There was no intention. Arjun is he's talking out of he's talking out of the side of his head they never thought that they'd be staked this long all right so just be aware that this crap is going down and people are trying to the apologists are going to be coming out of the woodwork meanwhile bitcoin magazine btc casey writing this one tbd partners with yellow card to enable global payments in 16 African countries via Bitcoin Rails. Blocks TBD, a Bitcoin-focused developer platform, has partnered with Yellowcard to unlock a network of fiat on and off ramps and payments via Bitcoin in 16 African countries. <coughs> this aims to make cross-border payments and liquidity exchanges more accessible and affordable and provide compliant cross-border payments and fiat off-ramps, according to a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine. Yellowcard will be a launch partner for the Web5 protocol and the TBDEX liquidity network. Uh, Block is... uh, uh, um, Oh, God, Dorsey. Jack. Jack Dorsey. The whole Block and TBD, that's Jack Dorsey's stuff. So just... Yeah. Anyway. Currently, cross-border payments in Africa can incur fees of almost 10%, Jesus, and take several days to clear using available systems. In March of 2023, TBD and Yellowcard conducted a successful proof of concept for payment rails from the United States to Ghana, Nigeria, and Kenya in real time. Senders can initiate remittances in USD, while recipients can receive local fiat currency into bank accounts or mobile money wallets such as M-Pesa and, and MTN. TBD converts the USD into Bitcoin or stablecoins 
and facilitates the exchange between digital assets and local fiat currencies. Pausing to remind everybody that Strike already does this. Not saying anything bad about Block and TBD, even even Jack Mallers, it, uh, I guarantee he appreciates the fact that there's somebody else that's doing the same thing. But this isn't the only, this isn't the first time that this has happened. Okay, I'm just I'm just saying. Continuing on, alternatively, recipients can opt to hold their value in Bitcoin or USD stablecoin. Uh, which is particularly valuable if they live in regions impacted by local currency volat uh, volatility and hyperinflation, the press release describes. The next goal is to establish decentralized identity, trust, and transaction protocols that enable a ubiquity of decentralized and trusted exchanges to occur. Yellowcard will be one of TBD's first partners to enable global payments and fiat off-ramps for end customers to send USD or Bitcoin and receive payments in local fiat. TBD provides APIs and developer services that make it easy for app developers to embed functionality that enables these transactions to happen in real time for their end consumers. The partnership is part of Block's vision's vision of developing global on and off ramps with the goal of enabling the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin in commercial and financial applications at scale. Quote, we're thrilled to work with TBD and the block team on TBDEX and their global payments initiative, said Chris Maurice, CEO and co-founder of Yellowcard. Quote, the international payment space, especially in Africa, is in dire need of the, innovation, the innovative solutions we are building together. And this is the culmination of the vision behind Block's initial investment in Yellow Card back in 2021. End quote. Quote, we're focused on advancing Block's purpose of economic empowerment by breaking down the barriers to financial access across the global South, commented Emily Chu, TBD co-founder and COO for TBD, this starts with driving more affordable cross-border payments and commerce to bring us closer to a more efficient and inclusive global economy. Yellow Card's shared passion and expertise across the African continent makes them a partner we're excited to accomplish this with, end quote. Wallets, fintech applications, or liquidity platforms looking to connect with TBD are encouraged to contact partnerships at TBD dot email. All right. So there you go. Now, I just want to reiterate again, this is not the first time that this has been done. Jack Mallers was doing this a year and a half to two years ago, where you send US dollars across Bitcoin rails, and they end up automatically converted on some dude's phone in Ghana, in their local currency, no less, or they can stay in Bitcoin. It doesn't really matter. But they're doing it that they were specifically strike does it over the lightning network. It just, just, I mean, thank God that there's another player in the game. You don't want just one person. That's a, that's a single point of failure. And the continent of Africa is too freaking important. In fact, I'm going to pause here and say that I saw a map last night of where all the Bitcoin nodes are. And they're concentrated on in the United States and Europe, the base, essentially the entirety of the European Union. Who's being left in the dust by the BRICS nations? We are. <laughs> it's, we're, Europe, America, 
or specifically the United in the United States, right? But also Canada and you know Australia and the rest of them. But the the central point of finance culture, finance intelligence, instrumentation design, all that shits in the United States and Europe, and it's been that way for decades and decades and decades. So. We got this major problem where China, Russia, India, Brazil, South Africa, Iran, uh, who else? Uh, Saudi Arabia, they're all cozying up together. They're not going to they're not going to pay for oil in the US dollar anymore. The US dollar hegemony is gone. We just don't know it yet. Some of us do, but most people they don't get it yet. And they don't understand what it means. Now that, I, I still don't get the, the full ramifications of what this actually means insofar as what does it look like for my day-to-day life. I can't fathom, and most people can't. But most people also don't know that the U.S. dollar is actually the world's reserve currency. And the people that do know that, most of those people do not realize that that is ending right now. And what do I see? And I've seen this before, but I didn't connect the dots until last night. When I see all these little colored dots, you know, focused on exactly the people that lost the trust of the world in, a, in all financial realms and, and definitions of the word. When I see those dots popping up in the exact same place, it makes me wonder if this isn't a major wrinkle for global economics moving forward. What if the United States and Europe was like, you know what? We're going to go with Bitcoin. What would Now, I'm not saying that that's going to happen. And I'm also not even thinking about it from a wishful thinking standpoint. But it's worth examining. Because the very people that have, the, not people, the very nations and their governments, not the citizenry, that's different. The nations, governments of the world that have lost so much trust, trust around the world that the BRICs are starting to eat our lunch and causing the United States dollar to lose world reserve currency status happen to be the exact places that the solution that we see right in front of our face is centered. I don't like the centralization. I get it. I, I hear you screaming out there, but just bear with me. Think about the implications of what happens if Europe and the United States said, shit, we got to get control of this. I know. Let's start putting Bitcoin on our treasury sheets in our central banks. Let's start actually being cool about this. Do you have any idea what would happen immediately? People would flood into Bitcoin like like the like the wall, the water walls after Noah got the Jews on the other side of the Red Sea and collapsed it on the Egyptian empire. I'm just saying it would be like that. And almost immediately, Russia and China's not getting along. India doesn't really want to give a shit about Saudi Arabia. It's, it goes all the way back to another world reserve currency, which I'm not sure is the best way to go. I'm just saying, the, it just comes back to that. The concentrations of where Bitcoin language is being transmitted across wires happens to be the same place that lost the trust of the rest of the world. It's an interesting situation. Hey, let's run numbers. 
CNBC futures and commodities. Mercy. West Texas Intermediate is up over two full points to $83.31. Brent North Sea up a full two points, $87.32. Meanwhile, natural gas being stupid, 4.71% to the downside. Can you spell manipulation? Uh, $2.08 per thousand. (coughs) Gasoline is up three quarters of a point to $2.88. Ladies and gentlemen, Idaho uh, boosted, well, not the whole state, but in my parts, uh, they added 20 cents a gallon. Was, what, what, what was it? It was $3.59 a couple of days ago. It is now $3.79 at the gas station that I run over to when I'm uh, on the other side of the border. Metals looking good, 0.2% uh, upside for gold to 2023 bucks even. Silver is up 0.87% to $25.40. Platinum is up $2.29. Copper is up 1.4%. Palladium is up a half a point. Ag is mixed fully. The biggest loser today is chocolate, 1.27% to the downside. Biggest winner today is going to be rough rice, 3.6% gain. Congrats, bitches. Live cattle up a third of a point. Lean hogs down 1.2%. And feeder cattle up 0.46%. Dow is up a third of a point. S&P is up a quarter of a point. NASDAQ essentially flat. S&P mini is up 0.14%. Real money pushed down below $30,000 mark to $29,985.96. And that's after what? 505,000 Bitcoin exchanged hands in the last 24 hours. Average transaction value is 1.4 BTC. Median transaction value is 0.011 BTC or 335 bucks. And block times plummet to 8 minutes and 40 seconds. Uh, 0.17 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and a whopping 28 BTC taken in fees in the last 24 hours. With a 13.8% rise in hash rate, we are up to 358.27 exahashes per second. And Doge, your shitcoin indicator, not doing well, 8.2 United States pennies. Somehow it's still able to get up above 7 cents, so at least it's got that going for it. I don't know, who gives a crap? We do have a $580.3 billion market capitalization that is four and one-third percent of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 14.8 ounces of the shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,344,193.21 of, and 5,410.7 of those are in the Lightning Network, now valued at $168.3 million, sporting 74,343 payment channels and 67.2% of all of its running over tour. Uh, We have a estimated difficulty change of 1.2% to the upside today. Yesterday it was to the down, now it's to the upside. On April the 20th, 2023, we have what appear to be, oh, oh, 88 blocks. We're below 90 blocks. Holy crap. We'll say 88 blocks waiting to clear various mempools. Uh, mempools that are at 300 megabytes are now purging anything below 1.3 Satoshi uh, Satoshis per V-byte for transaction fees. Your low priority fee is nine Satoshis per V-byte. 
High priority is sitting at 23 Satoshis per V-byte, and it's going to cost you about a buck to get your standard SegWit transaction into the next block, uh, given those prices. That's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. This next one's not as much about Bitcoin as it is about a report on the CPI numbers that came in. Yeah, the big lie. Let's find out what they lied about today. William Suberg, Cointelegraph. Bitcoin price rivals 10-month high as the consumer price index data beats expectations. Oh, we're all saved, I guess. Yay, hoorah. Bitcoin spiked higher prior to the April 12th Wall Street Open as United States inflation data outperformed market forecast. Oh, yay. Data from Cointelegraph Markets Pro and TradingView followed BTC USD as it neared new 10-month highs on Bitstamp. Widely predicted volatility entered immediately following the release of the Consumer Price Index data for March. This broadly conformed to expectations with the year-on-year increase undercutting assumptions by 0.2%. Quote, the All Items Index increased 5% for the 12 months ending March. This was the smallest 12-month increase since the period ending May of 2021, an accompanying press release from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics confirmed. This was nonetheless enough to spark some optimistic upside on crypto markets ahead of the Wall Street Open with potential further upside in line with equities to come. Markets uh, commentator Ted Talks Macro called the result a great inflation print for the bulls. All right, so inflation's still running. The fact that it came in under what they were expecting, Washington, D.C. and the rest of the uh, economists around the world are cheering, saying, see, it worked. I don't think it's working. Because if you know anything about the consumer price index, they change that thing all the time to get that thing to line up with as close to 2% inflation year over year as they possibly can. That, if you do that shit in science, if you change your data scales on your graphs to make a bump look bigger than it actually is, that's called scientific fraud. People lose their careers over that shit. They don't get published ever again for doing crap like that. Now, the scientific community is, I guess, gone woke. So maybe you can do whatever you want now. But but when I was in science, when I had to worry about this crap, no, you didn't change anything. You were as transparent as possible. These guys have been taking stuff like rent out, mortgage. It's like the stuff that you actually need to live, like fuel costs, that's not in the consumer price index. What's in there? Food. And some foodstuffs are taken out. I, it's just, they just massage it any way they want. I don't believe a word this thing says, but I don't have to because leading the Bitcoin revolution, El Salvador should launch a citizenship by investment program. This is written by one of my favorite people, Katie the Russian, bitcoinmagazine.com. It's been almost two years since the announcement that El Salvador would make Bitcoin legal tender. And since then, the government of El Salvador, led by President Bukele, has taken many more steps to attract capital to the country, offering favorable tax policies, streamlining business regulations, and generally developing a more positive reputation. 
But can El Salvador go further? For those who don't know, a CBI program or Citizenship by Investment program allows capitalism to be applied to government services. In this case, individuals can donate or invest money in the nation's economy, and in return, they receive a passport from that nation. El Salvador definitely has the legal authority to operate a CBI program. However, launching one can open up a can of worms that it would have to deal with. While leading the way in the Bitcoin revolution, the, or hold on, hold on. While leading the way in the Bitcoin revolution has uh, earned it the respect of Bitcoiners, some groups such as the IMF and the World Bank see El Salvador's Bitcoin adoption as a threat. Well, duh. El Salvador's passports, or El Salvador's passport is already powerful, providing visa-free or visa-on-arrival access to about 150 countries, ladies and gentlemen, including the European Union and the United Kingdom, all of Latin America, and most of Eastern Europe. However, all these relationships could be at risk if a CBI program causes concerns within the countries that have treaties with El Salvador. Pressure from political allies has pushed previously popular investment migration options, such as their, those that are in Cyprus and Malta and Portugal, to rethink their offerings. As a result, these countries missed unique opportunities to serve as pioneers and create fully integrated customer-centric instrumentation. Now, El Salvador has the opportunity to completely disrupt the CBI market. If done right, the country could become the preferred choice among wealthy migrants who view themselves as sovereign individuals. If done well, it also presents the opportunity to orange pill a great deal of high net worth individuals globally. El Salvador stands to lead the way in the new era of citizen-government relationships where citizens are treated as customers and governments are treated as service providers. And luckily for El Salvador, this isn't the first time a CBI program has been done. For instance, some Caribbean islands that are leading the CBI industry provide some insightful data. Based on some publicly available information that I've accessed and my personal experience in the industry, the combined revenue from the CBI programs of Antigua and Barbuda, Dominica, Grenada, St. Kitts and Nevis, and St. Lucia contributed about $2.5 billion for the region in 2022 alone. It is worth mentioning that the populations of all those islands combined is only 10% of the population of El Salvador. Dude, that's like 700,000 people. Wow. A similar CBI revenue that would add up to 7% of El Salvador's GDP. But would there be demand for such a program coming from a Latin American country? At Plan B Passport, pausing to say that's Katie the Russian's outfit, is Plan B Passport, we have seen a large amount of requests about this specific jurisdiction, which is not a surprise considering that we cater specifically to Bitcoiners and that there are multiple factors that bring this community's attention to El Salvador. Of course, the tax regime and regulatory environments for businesses are a top priority. However, a country's political stance plays a huge role in a Bitcoiner's decision-making process, uh, process as well. El Salvador is perfectly positioned across all of these factors, and its president is boldly taking a stance against the World Economic Forum's 2030 agenda of you will own nothing and you will be happy. The geographic location of El Salvador is also increasing the value of the passport. 
Unlike the Caribbeans, it's not an island and it allows access by land while also allowing access by water. If the program is implemented correctly, El Salvador will win a lot of businesses over the Caribbean CBI options. Considering the similarities between the power of El Salvador's passport and the countries where CBI programs currently exist, it makes sense to establish the pricing close to what the market currently offers. To give examples, St. Kitts currently requires a $125,000 donation for a single applicant or $200,000 investment for government-approved properties or a $400,000 investment into any real estate. That's quite a bit of money. St. Lucia requires a $100,000 donation for a single applicant. And let me clarify, families that apply together do not have to donate that amount per each family member, but rather the main applicant applies with dependents. As a CBI service provider, we've noticed there are many roadblocks that clients run into. Solving those would benefit El Salvador CBI in favor of existing CBIs. Leading the way in transitioning from traditional finance toward a better monetary system, El Salvador can offer the first CBI program to officially accept self-custodied Bitcoin holdings as proof of funds. This can be done easily with signing a message. Uh, the process to confirm ownership of BTC conducted by the applicant, but I have yet to succeed in explaining it to the Caribbean CBI representatives. El Salvador can also be the first in its jurisdiction or the first jurisdiction at all to accept Bitcoin directly for donation and bond investment options. And currently, CBI applicants have to utilize traditional financial assets to transfer those funds. Some jurisdictions allow intermediaries. However, it will cost an applicant 5% in conversion fees. We ran a poll within Plan B Passport email subscribers and got some interesting data around this. When it comes to payment methods, our audience indicated the following preferences. To use USDT or Tether, 6%. The US dollar, 9%. BTC, 37% said that they want to use BTC. And any, and I don't know what that means, but any is 48%. We also asked what investment options the audience would want to see. And 39% real estate investment, 42% said volcano bonds, and 19% said non-refundable donations. Huh. Of course, we've already heard about the volcano bonds, which would be the first Bitcoin denominated bond option to ever exist. Also, seeing Bukele make moves towards incentivizing tech companies to headquarter and incorporate in El Salvador reminds us of Armenia's golden visa. And this definitely puts the right motivations in place for investors. Armenia grants a golden visa to those who establish an IT business with a million dollar market capitalization or establish a venture capital firm with $80 million in assets. El Salvador could direct capital toward innovation by implementing such options into a CBI program. Bitcoin enthusiasts also see CBI programs as ways to bring power back to the individual. These programs are seen as a form of pure capitalism applied to government services, allowing individuals to choose their state service provider based on the price and services offered and take their funds with them. With competition between nation states for capital and talent, on the rise, the mobility of capital and people has the potential to transform the way we think about citizenship and national identity. 
and CBI programs may be at the forefront of this transaction, or sorry, transformation. Allow me to remind you that throughout 2021 to 2023, El Salvador's government continuously purchased Bitcoin and put it on the country's balance sheet. And as of July, 2022, it was holding 2,381 Bitcoin. Launching the CBI could be yet another opportunity for the country to acquire more Bitcoin. Okay, guys, I'm pausing here to remind everybody that as far as I am concerned, it is not clear that Bukele is buying a Bitcoin every single day or whatever he said he was going to do. And it's also not clear where that Bitcoin is. Therefore, it's not clear exactly how much Bitcoin El Salvador has purchased. These are caveats, okay? I just want to make sure that you understand that just because Bitcoin Magazine prints it that way, in so far in this case, through the, through the writings of Katie the Russian, who I think is a fine individual, and I, I don't think she's, you know, really, you know, I don't know. She's not nefarious by any stretch of the imagination that I've seen. I like her. I think she's pretty cool, man. But it's, she's not making it clear that it's not clear that there's a continuous purchase of Bitcoin. It's not clear who holds it, as in who, whose wallet. Is it Bukele's wallet? Is it the, national, the country's wallet? I don't know. Neither do you. So just take it with a grain of salt, guys. Continuing, while a CBI program could be productive, a productive move for El Salvador, it ain't without its risks. However, with a powerful passport, favorable tax policies, a positive reputation, and support from Bitcoin enthusiasts, El Salvador is well positioned to attract foreign investment and talent. If done correctly, a CBI program could be the next step in its transformation, bringing power back to the individuals and changing the way we think about citizenship and national identity. So that's the end of the article. I'd like to, to just say, this could be done in Costa Rica as well. All right, it doesn't, ha we don't have to just put everything into El Salvador. Uh, Costa Rica is starting to come up. Hey, you need to keep your eyes on Costa Rica as the next to fall. And between the two of them, they share a common border with the country of Honduras. Or at least I believe that that's where it is. Let me, actually, let me, let me check that. World map. See if my geography is, is being stupid. Uh, Central America. Yeah, there we go. Let's see. Let's see what we can see. Let me get a map up here. Something I can read. And no, it's the like literally the worst. God, okay. We'll just do it this way. Okay, I got El Salvador. And okay, so Costa Rica, they looks like to me that El Salvador shares a border with Costa Rica uh with Managua between between. Nope, that's not true. Here it is. This is the way this works out. Costa Rica. To the north, it's Nicaragua. El Salvador to the east is the Honduras. And between Honduras and Nicaragua is a shared border. All right. Just below Costa Rica is Panama. And they have the Panama Canal. Ladies and gentlemen, of all the strategic locations, I mean, if, you're, if you want to think about it in terms of warfare, I guess, like Jason Lowry wants to do all the time, this is the most important place on the planet right now. If El Salvador flips Honduras, and between the two, they flip Guatemala to their north, 
and and Costa Rica flips Nicaragua, Nicaragua to their north, then you've got Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and Panama Falls next. And they've got the Panama Canal. That's the almost the entirety of Central America. And that's the bridge between North and South America as a land connection. So you would literally be driving through Bitcoin country. Other than Africa as an entire continent, because I always say it's Central America, South America, Africa, and then blah, 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 my usual spiel. This one, Central America for me, because I'm on this side of the planet. Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Panama. That's the focus. That's the focus. And I think we should start looking a hell of a lot more at Costa Rica. I really, really do. If any of you guys are like, hey, I know what we're going to do. We're going to open up, open up something in El Salvador. You know what? Try Costa Rica and go to like, I don't know, La Berna or Tamarino or something like that because you can hop a boat and go, not Managua. I said Managua earlier. That's the capital of freaking Nicaragua. I don't know why I was saying that because I'm not, not all, I'm not all that there. Okay. So I'm just saying you can take a boat. From the northern peninsula sticking out north of Liberia, was it Liberia? Yeah. Northern peninsula sticking out from north of Liberia. Take a boat, cruise up the coast of Nicaragua, and land in the bay just south of San Miguel. And that's a cruise line. So you got water access right there. You don't even have to go through Nicaragua if they become, if they remain not friendly. And they're probably starting to become friendly. This is the domino between North America and South America. This falls, both of them fall. I I cannot tell you how important this region of the world is right now, even kind of beyond Africa. Although Africa is insanely important. I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just saying, because we've got a massive foothold right here, right now. So maybe start looking at Costa Rica. I wouldn't go to Honduras or Nicaragua just yet. Okay, a little bit rough. It's still a little rough. Guatemala, don't know anything about it. Panama, that's where Richard Hart lived. I don't know if he's still there or not, but eh, Panama seems to be seems to be probably not all that above board, but Bitcoin fixes that too. So instead of focusing on El Salvador all the time, how about we start focusing a little bit more on what's going on in Costa Rica? I'm just saying. I'd like to see that actually happen. Now, uh, NFT warranties. <sighs> yes, I said it. Warranties. It's a warranty on your NFT. A warranty. You know what a warranty really is? Or rather, in this context, do you know what a warranty is here. It's a derivative. It's a derivative financial instrument on top of NFTs. It is what? What did we learn from 2008? You got MBS, the mortgage-backed security. Crap that didn't sell out of packages from MBSs went into what? A CDO. Uh, That's the second derivative. You can actually apply calculus to this and call it, talk about first, second, third derivatives, like you talk about first, second, and third integrals. If you, 
If you know calculus, you know what I'm talking about, right? So the second derivative was the CDO. And then you had, um, God, what was the insurance policy on it? I can't remember the name of the, the damn instrument. You're probably screaming right now. Whatever. This is the same shit. This is insurance on your crappy MBS. NFT warranties can help mass adoption of the technology, says Web3 executive, who honestly just wants to steal your money. Savannah Fortis from Cointelegraph, tell us more. Web3 space has seen its fair share of exploits in the recent past, with more than $320 million exploited by hackers in the first quarter of 2023. Jesus. <laughs> For many users, particularly prospective users, securing their digital assets is a top priority. A new, brand new, brand spanking new, non-fungible token warranty service from Web3 payment provider WERT and InsurTech service Avada InsurTech. InsurTech. Oh, okay. Okay. Web3 payment provider WERT and Insure tech service like fintech. I had I've never seen this word before. Insurance technology. Okay, it's all bullshit. Insure tech service Avada is trying to troubleshoot the asset security gap with both active and prospective collectors. According to the announcement, the opt-in warranty for NFTs will cover up to 90% of the value of the digital asset for any NFTs compromised in a smart contract hack. Cointelegraph spoke with George Balazzo, the co-founder and CEO of WERT, who said a solution like this helps bridge the trust gap while offering needed protection to an array of collectors. Quote, NFT warranties will provide a sense of security and trust, which will encourage more non-native crypto users to join the Web3 space with minimal risk, making it more appealing to a broader audience. Yes, as if we needed to scam more people out of their money. The service will be available on nearly 80 digital asset marketplaces, including known origin NFT, uh, blah, blah, blah. According to Belaz, whatever his name is, the NFT protection will be charged at 6% of the asset cost at checkout and coverage will be calculated by the purchase price rather than current market value. Uh, he believes that offering a service that ensures some degree of protection against hacks and theft will help perpetuate mass adoptions of NFTs and Web3 technologies in general. And Web3 has nothing to do with NFTs and no NFTs has nothing to do with Web3. They completely captured the meaning of what Web3 was talked about five years ago, all right? Six years ago. It's, it's all bullshit. Quote, overall, any consumer looking to get into the NFT space wants to protect their money invested by offering them uh, that sense of security that they are able to engage in Web3 on a deeper level with reduced risk, end quote. He pointed out that particularly high value NFTs, similar to traditional collectibles and art, are often bought by serious investors who are more often worried about security than the average collector, Warranties can make the industry, quote, more open to professional collectors and investors. Mm. Profession, you spelled stupid wrong. It's not spelled with a P. Uh, a recent study from CoinGecko revealed that 25% of NFT owners have a collection of 51 digital assets or more. Some studies have projected that NFT-related global transactions will skyrocket from $24 million in 2022 to nearly $40 million dollars by 2027. Now it's going to go up a hell of a lot more than that. Okay. So 
a warranty on your NFT is nothing but an insurance policy against CDOs and mortgage-backed securities. That's all it is. You know, I mean, a warranty on your car is actually different than this. This is nothing but just another level of thievery, unethical behavior, and immorality pasted on top of an entire set of platforms that was designed specifically to take your money and give you digital rocks. Please don't do it. Just buy Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin. Uh, I think we'll finish off with this one. More Bitcoin than ever is now dormant. And here's what that means. Matt DeSalvo, Decrypt.co. Even as Bitcoin surges to levels not seen in months, hodling will never go out of style. More than half of the coins in existence have not moved in over two years, according to recent figures. A new all-time high blockchain data from Glassnow told Decrypt that the amount of Bitcoin which last moved more than two years ago currently stands at 53.14%. That means 10.2 million Bitcoin is still sitting still, roughly $309 billion worth of Satoshis. A total of 19.3 million Bitcoin have been mined since the cryptocurrency came into existence. Arkham Intelligence CEO Miguel Morel told Decrypt that dormant coins often find their way back into circulation over time. Quote, coins have organically transferred from those with high time and liquidity preference to those with low time and liquidity preference, Morel said. Though all, oh, sorry, through all the shakeups for every seller, there's always a buyer. End quote. Ancient Bitcoin stashes have been known to move with whales, those who've hoarded huge amounts of cryptocurrencies, making absurd returns, moving their investments to other addresses. Still, Glassnode has previously said that investors are less likely to spend coins after 155 days. And data has previously shown that those who actually make money buying the oldest cryptocurrency are sophisticated investors who sit on large amounts for a long time while the retail investor is likely to lose out. Quote, sometimes these coins never come back into the market, Morel said. Bitcoin that sits still for a long time can also be attributed to lost coins. A common problem for amateur invest investors is forgetting the private keys to their digital wallets. The latest data points come as the largest cryptocurrency by market cap soars in value. Bitcoin last night hit the $30,000 market mark for the first time in 10 months. Now it's trading at $30,229, according to CoinGecko. And of course, it's fallen below that, but it is what it is. At the start of the year, the asset was priced well below 20,000 trading hands for as low as $16,615. Investors are clearly hoping that their investment will swell the longer that they sit on it. Ah, again, I am of the mind that I don't like calling Bitcoin an investment. If you want to call it an investment, it's an investment in the future, but it's not an investment in fiat terms. It's literally an investment in time preference, which makes it a direct investor in time itself, which means what you value more is not the fiat, but your time. It's, that's one of the fundamental shifts of human thinking that has occurred along the rails of Bitcoin just existing, is looking at money 
as your time. And when you get to the point where you go, I agree, my money represents the time on earth that I've been here and I'm going to die one of these days. Therefore, when governments and other entities debase my money, they are actually stealing the time that I had on this planet. And that's not right. So that's a singular fundamental shift of human thinking right here. When you buy Bitcoin, do you consider it an investment? If you do, what kind of investment do you consider it? Do you consider it a vehicle to make more fiat? Or do you consider it a vehicle to respect the time that you've had, the time that you spend right now, and the time that you have left upon this planet before you kick the bucket and go on to the great beyond? If you look at it in terms of fiat, sell all of your Bitcoin right now. Please do it. Get rid of it. Get Just go on Coinbase and get it all over there and, and market sell it. Don't even try to get a premium for it. Just pull the trigger. Because that's the worst possible thing that you can be thinking of. And I don't say that because I want you to hold on to your Bitcoin. I just asked you to go sell it. All right. So that's clearly not, not why I'm saying this. We as humanity have this one chance, at least right now in our lifetime, to stop looking at the lies that we've been told as truth. That's all I'm asking is that everything that we've been told is clearly a lie and we're building our lives around those lies. That's like building a house on a beach, like literally on the beach. It's first of all, sand is not stable. And second of all, it's a beach. What do you think is going to happen? Even if your house doesn't get wrecked by the unstable foundation of being built on sand, it's going to get wiped over by some wave at one point or another. It's going to happen. We have this chance. The real question I'll leave you with, are you going to take that chance? That's going to do it for the morning roundup. It's Wednesday. It's a joke day. It's Dad Says Jokes. What do you call the pink fleshy bits between sharks' teeth? Slow swimmers. <laughs> I love it. Slow swimmers. Um, yeah, that's sort of where we're at is, you know, you only have to be faster than the... the <laughs> to get away from a bear, if there's two of you, you only have to be as fast as the last guy, the guy that's behind you. Because once the bear gets a hold of him, he's going to stop and, and you don't have anything to worry about. Unless it's your best friend or wife or something like that, in which case you damn well do. But if it's somebody you don't know, let's just say that. It's somebody you don't know, never met, you run faster than that guy the sh or swim faster in this case, the shark is going to get that guy. All right, so that's sort of where we're at. The shark in this case is what's happening to the U.S. dollar, the loss of dollar hegemony across the planet. And all these countries that are basically binding together to stop filling their 
lives with our lies. Because our federal government, the European Union, the IMF, and the World Bank, and the UN, which is basically all that shit, that's all the West. When you just get right down to it, all of this, Davos, and the Council of Foreign Relations, and the UN, and all this stuff that I've just mentioned, you take them all together and you find me one of those characters is actually from India. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about like the, the people involved. There are clearly people involved from India and all those places as well as Australia and stuff like that. But you, I mean, you find me something like the World Economic Forum that was crafted, fashioned, and is world famous as the WEF that did not come out of a Western country. You can't. Because the entire world is ruled by the exact same cabal of bullshitters that we've been dealing with since before we were born, before our parents were born, and before our grandparents were born. And now the countries are just, the other countries that are not part of the giant club, they're done. Even Saudi Arabia, which is and still is to this day a part of the giant club, is just, they're just done. They're just done. We've done nothing but be stupid for the last, well, many more years than the last three years, but we really turned up the heat in the last three years. Let's say last four. Let's say it, the whole thing started with um, not just COVID, but before that we had the, uh, re, the reverse repo rates uh, fiasco with the banks in the United States and, and uh, Europe, okay? There was that whole credit crisis back then, and they were able to stop that up before it got really bad. And now it's bad again, except this time it's not just all stopped up. But these guys are done, which is why I want to leave you with that whole notion that as much as it has been the cause of Western governments to piss off the rest of the world the very technology that solves that problem exists in the very same geographical locations. It's amazing. The Bitcoin node map is something that you probably need to go look at and say, and, and you can challenge me, please, by all means. There's no reason to not challenge me on this statement. But go look for yourself and look at the countries in the BRICS and look where Bitcoin nodes aren't at. I have one piece of pushback already on Nostra that the guy says, yeah, well, the Bitcoin nodes are not supposed to be specifically identified by a GOIP. Okay, I get that. And I'm not arguing that. However, at one point or another, we're seeing them through the United States and Europe. So, even if I mean, somehow or another, the pipelines end there. Okay. So still, even if, even, I mean, I'm just, and here's the thing. I don't think that that's entirely correct. I think that there's a lot of IP addresses that are, that Bitcoin nodes that are on open IPs that not every node software is automatically using Tor or some, automatic VPN. And somehow or another, I think that while the gentleman is not entirely wrong, I don't think he's entirely right. So I'm still sticking by my guns and saying that the majority of Bitcoin full nodes 
are being run in the United States and Europe. These are the very geographical locations whose, nation, whose governments of the nations in those geographical locations have caused irreparable damage to the rest of the world. All the, to all the people that are not in the club, we have continuously destroyed them. And yet the very thing that fixes that little red wagon are in the exact same spot. You take that in consideration and marry it with my idea that Central America is the most critical place that we can get on our side. You take those two things together, we're going to change the world. It's going to happen. Nothing can stop it now. It can get bloody. It can suck. I get that. But it can't be stopped. So as with a boulder rolling down the hill, the best idea is to get out of the way and watch the damage it does on the way down. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.